Welcome to an all-new episode of Sudanet Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Rabel. And this is a show where I explore the psychology, playbook of tools, and strategies of some of the most influential people in sports, entrepreneurship, and entertainment. But today's show is a bit different. A former guest on the show, actually, Scott Galloway, who I'm very fond of, often speaks about being unoriginal. And I'll say that I'm incredibly unoriginal. But I also believe that in many cases, I'm exceptionally curious and grateful for such. It's because from that curiosity, I've been able to learn, evolve, course correct, and so on. Before I started this podcast back in 2017, I was an avid listener of others. And like any decision we make in life, particularly in adulthood, there's a trade-off. More doing, in my case, meant less consuming. Anyway, one of my favorite listens was, and still is when I can grab a new episode, is Tim Ferriss. He's a great interviewer and has fascinating guests that often unpack loads of valuable information in a number of different disciplines. And a favorite of mine was the creator of WordPress and founder of Automatic, Matt Mullenweg. Matt, he's a 21st century world-class entrepreneur and coder, considers himself a chemist, not an inventor. He attributes most of what's out there already to the brilliant inventors who precede us. And what he does is take each of those elements already in market and composes them into a new property of potentially better use than the incumbents. I look at sports in a similar light. When I was younger, I watched the best athletes in the world. I tried to cut like Barry Sanders, jump like Michael Jordan, shoot and hustle like Bird, deke and fake like Mikey Powell, and shoot like A.J. Hogan, Adam Doniger, and Kyle Harrison. I studied each of their film and practiced it religiously in my backyard. So much that I think I've been able to do a pretty decent job of combining the best of each with the obvious gaps being Barry Sanders' agility and speed and MJ's jumping power. But even to this day, Kyle Harrison has a much better jump shot than me. Anyway, to today and the podcast. But first, the trade-off. The last three weeks have been all-consuming for me. I had a stretch of living out of two suitcases for 16 straight days where I hosted a week-long Rabel Events property down at IMG in Florida. I played in three MLL games in 10 days with six practices, shifted up to Boston for Team USA training camp for five days with two-a-days that filled that time, and rounded out the trip with a home stop in New York for a Lizards game against Ohio, which, by the way, we came from behind and won. Since that stand, I've had four days to get back to Baltimore to catch up on work, spend time with my team, see my friends and family for the fourth, and scramble to put together a couple of new bags of clothes for a trip to Israel. Yes, Israel. Our Federation of International Lacrosse, which is our global governing body, they host a World Games, which begins next week in Netanya. It's 45 minutes north of Tel Aviv. There are 58 nationally sanctioned countries that play competitive lacrosse, and every four years we all congregate to compete for a world championship. It's much like the World Cup right now, which, as a side note, our sport should really reconsider playing its most prestigious tournament in a non-World Cup year. Anyway, this is my third World Games, which partially means I'm skilled, but mainly old, have put together a great team of trainers, docs, and PTs to keep me sewn up, and have played on awesome teams. But back to today and the podcast and that trade-off. Time spent in meaningful areas means time less spent in others, which doesn't mean those others are less meaningful. It just means that time is allocated elsewhere. So I don't have a guest this week, which is my standard format, and I won't have one on the 16th or 23rd. I'll still be in Israel. I'm unsure if I'll be recording while I'm over there, perhaps, at least for personal reflection and maybe shared. 
shoot me a note with your thoughts. But for now, I wanted to do as Matt Mullenweg would, or Scott Galloway often does, and share a couple of meaningful articles that feel especially salient as we collectively work hard to achieve our goals together, no matter what they are, or at a minimum, experience joy in the journey. So without further ado, here's an article on regret minimization from a former student at podcast guest, Ryan Holiday, by the way. And here's also a snapshot of the theory. Then I'll read Ryan's article. The idea behind regret minimization framework is pretty simple. Project yourself forward to the age of 80. Looking back on your life, you want to minimize the number of regrets. If you project yourself to the age of 80 and think about your potential regrets, things often get a lot clearer. It also helps you to remove a few pieces of confusion in the present caused by alternative paths. It helps you make the right decision more easily. Okay, when that check engine light beeps on in your vehicle, do you worry if it's routine maintenance or something more serious? Frankly, mechanics love that check engine light because most people, at least if you're like me, have no idea why theirs is on or if it's an emergency or not until fixed was created. That's F-I-X-D. It's like a health monitor for your vehicle. It's like wearable tech. It constantly scans your car for problems and tells you in plain English what's wrong with said car. It has automatic sensors that plug into your car and connects you to a free fixed app on your smartphone. It helps eliminate the fear of not knowing what's wrong with your vehicle or how much it will cost. It gives you the answer to both. It can be installed in seconds on any car made after 1996 where anyone can do it with no tools required. Here's a bit about the company. You know, I love origin stories. It was created by three Georgia Tech grads, and right now they sell over 50,000 units each month. Fixed alerts you to over 7,000 potential issues in real time, and you can monitor multiple cars from your single smartphone. So right now you can get fixed for as low as $39. It's an amazing price point, but it doesn't stop there. If you're a student up podcast listener, you can get an additional 10% off when you enter the promo code RABEL at www.listentomycar.com. That's listentomycar.com and enter promo code RABEL for an additional 10% off the already discounted price. Many people practice regret minimization in their financial lives, perhaps with a pile of gains from cryptocurrencies. Quote, would I regret selling, knowing and discovering it has continued to go up? Or would I regret not selling and losing everything I have? Close quote. But to do this in broader life, with our opinions and life decisions, is rarer. How many young people who danced with the alt-right in 2016 and 17, before the movement turned deadly serious, might have saved themselves a regrettable experience? How many radicals and other errors might have done the same? How many of us stop to think about how the tone of an email will come off in the future? Or weigh the immediacy of a temptation or a passion against a feeling that so often overcomes us after we've indulged? The economist Tyler Cowen dispensed this advice, quote, treat yourself like a piece of your writing, which you set aside for a week so you could look at it fresh, close quote. In other words, give yourself distance from yourself. Put your thoughts, your drives, your attractions up for review and see if time, whether it's a week or a month or a year, is kind to them. I vividly remember how intolerable this kind of review was to me with trust me, I'm lying. Even with all my editing, I made deeper reflection impossible. I rejected one potential publisher who was interested in engaging in a longer editorial conversation about the book's direction. I pressured the publisher I did work with for a shorter timeline. I resisted changes in some places that would inevitably have required me to consider changes elsewhere. 
The book needed to come out. There was no time. This was my window. Reservations be damned. The result was not only regret about a handful of missed typos and errors on release day, but over the next few years, I experienced a slow and humbling realization that my ideas were a wee half decade early. We need the process to review, most when we're young. Any reader of one of our fuller editions of Anne Frank's diary can see this. Even within two years in the attic, surrounded only by her family and locked away from the outside world, Anne changed and matured. She writes repeatedly of her horror at the tone of earlier entries and takes substantial pains to edit and refine her thinking. She's appalled by her judgments of other people and the statements she made while upset or exhausted. In reviewing and reflecting, she is able to see their side of things and identify concrete improvements to be made in herself as well. She had the courage to inspect her own most private thoughts and examine the record. She asked herself if this was the person she wanted to be. Where the answer was no, she worked to improve. This is a process we should all engage in, writers or not. It shouldn't fall to the Facebook memories feature to get us to put our past up for inspection, whether it's been nine years or nine days. Nor should it fall to our actual memories, which are filled with biases and flaws. No, we need to look at the actual evidence. We need to look at ourselves critically as we would some other person. It will at times be painful, but we'll grow from it. Our world moves faster now, especially for young people. Instagram and Twitter and Snapchat in the pocket, prompting, prodding, addicting us to say what's on our mind and act on our urges to form our identity in real time with no delay. Not simply in the form of youthful indiscretions that look bad to college recruiters, but comments and opinions that will not stand the test of time. Right now, each of us is forming the self we'll face in the mirror in a year and for many years thereafter. Each one of us is accumulating the record of acts and beliefs and statements that will come dribbling back to us in the future in one way or another. It is unavoidable that some of these will be regrettable, but it's by no means fated that we'll cringe at all of them because we can prevent them from happening now. Cowan's advice on doing it in the movement, on seeing our own desires and freshness and perspective, can prevent regret before it happens. We can give ourselves time to reflect now. There will still be room for spontaneity and impulse, for if we are honest, most of us are far more reactive than we are deliberate. The point is to drop the certainty and the ego, the blissful ignorance where we do whatever we want, we do what feels right, but never question why, because these impulses curdle. We can know that the thoughtless, slavish devotion to trends rarely ages well. And most of all, we can remember that less is almost always more. We can resist the urge to put two words where one will do, where none will do, and reduce with equal measure our knowing certitude of all those things that are inevitably never fully knowable. Hiring is challenging, but there's one place you can go when hiring that's simple, fast, and smart. It's a place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates, and that place is ZipRecruiter.com forward slash cross. Here are some reasons why we choose personally to hire using ZipRecruiter. One, it's simple, efficient, and scalable. It sends your JD to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, and they don't stop there. 
With ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology, they scan thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. And then as applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates through their proprietary software so you never miss the perfect match. And here's the best statistic. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within just 24 hours. So with results like that, it's no wonder that ZipRecruiter is the highest rated hiring site in America. Now, for Student Up Podcast listeners, if you're looking to make hires, which should be a year-round process, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com forward slash cross. That's ZipRecruiter.com forward slash C-R-O-S-S-E. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Regret Minimization Framework, first eloquently articulated by Jeff Bezos when he left his high-paying job on Wall Street to start Amazon. Ryan Holiday really captured it well. Thank you very much. And as I lead to the other article I wanted to share, here's some additional background. As many of you know, losing the World Championships in 2014 to Canada sparked a number of events for me personally that followed. Not only did we lose the biggest game, on the international stage, but the following week, we had an MLL game and I broke my foot. So from there, I went to a downward spiral of regret and psychological pain. I thought my lacrosse career was over. Little did I know. Nevertheless, I found a sports psychologist and then began working closely in cognitive behavioral therapy to improve my linear scope on life and sports, winning and losing, grudges, anger, etc., It's been the most impactful several years of my life, and I owe a lot of it to both Lindsay Hoskins, who's my personal therapist, and John Elliott on the sports side. So, Lindsay's practice, Lindsay Hoskins and Associates. They release a weekly newsletter and feature a reflection from either Lindsay or one of her associates on a particular subject. And this one came from an associate, Janine Jolly DeMars, where she took on interpretations from world-famous author and psychoanalyst D.W. Winnicott, which, as a side note, DW's books are amazing, but they are incredibly dense. So this article was very helpful for someone like myself who has struggled with dissecting often Winnicott's meanings. The subject revolves around the correlation between ambition and pain, success and pain, and perhaps an unsuccessful professional career and maybe less pain. All this for better and for worse. I've read it a dozen times and really felt compelled to share it with you. On June 5th, we learned of fashion designer Kate Spade's death by suicide. And less than 72 hours later, on June 8th, we learned of chef and writer Anthony Bourdain's death by suicide. Since that time, many worthwhile things have already been written about these events, that there is help and hope for folks who are struggling with suicidal thoughts that the stigma surrounding mental illness and mental health treatment is dangerous and should give way to curiosity and compassion. There's also certain cultural values, like political and economic individualism, that may allow hopelessness to fester by deterring compassion and undermining a sense of connection and belonging between people. Without hope or pretense of redirecting the larger dialogue away from these important issues, I wish to explore the events of two weeks ago from another perspective, specifically a perspective outlined briefly but powerfully by mid-century psychologist D.W. Winnicott in his seminal book, The Concept of a Healthy Individual. He wrote, 
quote, so we ask ourselves the question, how wide a spectrum of these people who are making good in spite of what they carry around with them, genes, early letdowns, and unfortunate experiences, do we include among those that are healthy? We have to take into consideration the fact that in this group are many uncomfortable people whose anxiety propels them to exceptional achievement. They may be difficult to live with, but they push the world forward in some areas of art, science, philosophy, religion, or politics. I do not have to decide the answer, but I do have to be prepared for the legitimate question, what about the world's geniuses? End quote. Frustratingly, but honestly, Winnicott does not take the step to translate his observations into actionable solutions. The question here is not which is better, to have health or genius, or how to preserve both, or anything else geared towards the pragmatic or practical. Just, what about them? If they accomplish less, might they also hurt less? Do they hurt more in order to accomplish more? These questions are a red herring that distract from an uncomfortable and at times incomprehensible reality that people, lots of people, accomplish phenomenal feats at the same time as they suffer phenomenal pain. Their genius as well as their pain are realities, realities far more substantive and enduring than any of the mass of ideas we construct to try to make sense of either or both. I would argue that our mass of ideas often falls short because of the false dichotomy we draw between strength and pain. If someone is strong, competent, and successful, if they're high-functioning, then they must not be in pain. Geniuses do not feel worthless. They do not feel inadequate. They do not feel desperate. They do not believe the world would be better without them. They are not failures in their own estimation. Geniuses are not victims. They do not suffer trauma. They do not suffer loss. And if they did, it is only a plot point in their generally glorious narrative. Geniuses do not carry wounds that do not heal. And that is all very false. We have seen over and over that being hurt and feeling pain is an equal opportunity fact of human existence. And no one is spared. Not icons and moguls who successfully parlay their talent into money and fame. Not writers whose words inspire wisdom and love and courage and millions of readers. Not athletes who storm the global stage with staggering feats of strength and grace. The geniuses are as fragile, they're as broken, as any non-genius. They may be even more. Trying to understand suicide from an intellectual standpoint is challenging, verging on dangerous, as it poses the dual hazard of either validating the action or invalidating the pain behind it. So let me make it very clear. I do not believe that suicide is ever the correct response to pain. Conversely, in my personal and professional opinion, suicide is a method of correcting the cognitive dissonance caused by the fact of, quote, I feel bad, with the underlying and culturally reinforced belief that, quote, strong, good, worthy people do not feel bad. Many of us unconsciously ascribed to these same beliefs that if I were good, I would not feel bad. If I were strong enough, beautiful enough, smart enough, successful enough, lovable enough, I would never feel pain and no one could or would hurt me. Simply, if I feel bad, it is because I am bad. Many of us unconsciously ascribe to these beliefs. They are often harmful in some way. Sometimes they are fatal. Another phrase that has struck me is from a different book. Home is where we start from, 
in which Winnicott writes, health is tolerant of ill health. We have heard many times that it's okay to feel bad. We have permission. Well, thanks, I guess. But pain and the negative emotions we feel in response do not ask for permission. They exist. They happen. And they will find a way in whether they are permitted or not. We do have some control, though. We have control over how we perceive them, what we tell ourselves about them, what meaning we make of them. I say it is not just okay to feel bad. It is inevitable. It is normal. It's part of health. This is the challenge I pose to all people, to start saying to ourselves and then to our friends and parents and children and partners and coworkers, I feel bad sometimes. It does not mean I am bad or that I have failed or that I need to try harder or that I should give up because I will never be good enough. It is normal and healthy to feel bad sometimes. And maybe end with, I am in good company. Lots of geniuses have felt this way. I hope you enjoyed that article as much as I did. Really fascinating stuff. Recommend buying both reference D.W. Winnicott books if you want to take that subject further. Thanks again to both Ryan Holiday and Janine Jolly-Demars for writing these thoughtful interpretations and reflections on important self-growth subjects. As I mentioned earlier, I'm now off to Israel for the 2018 World Games. I'll be continuing the conversation with you on social media. You can follow me across all platforms. My handles are at Paul Rabel, and this podcast will likely go on hold until I come back. If you want to dive into previous episodes, however, they're all available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your pods. And please consider forwarding this podcast to one of your friends or colleagues to join in on the conversation. There's a shortcut to our show notes and conversation at suitinguppodcast.com. And of course, a special shout out to our show's sponsors today. Thank you so much for your continued support of Suiting Up Podcast. Until next time, everyone, have a great week.